With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. So there's a lot of similarities for me personally between getting fired and getting divorced. Those are low moments. For me, those were both very low moments where I questioned myself. I questioned who am I? What am I doing? How did I get in this situation? Where did I go wrong? What's wrong with me? And those feelings were so awful in the moment and time. But what I've learned over 43 years is you can actually create confidence. You can build that muscle daily. It's a choice. And no one is born magically confident. They might have had mentors or parents or, or someone in their life teaching them why and how to be confident. But the reality is confidence isn't static. It isn't just there and for the rest of your life you're going to be confident. You could be confident in one part of your life and not in another. I mean, there are so many great techniques and obviously confidence really is the difference between, I think, success and failure in so many different situations, whether it's professional or relationships or investing or getting yourself opportunities. I think it's so hard though. Like if someone's listening to this and they've never been able to do this before, how can you say they start? Because it's hard to just start, I think, particularly if you've gone deeper into the no confidence zone. Like, how do you make that leap to say, okay, I'm priority number one when I just got fired, got divorced, went broke, whatever. You have to ask yourself that question. In some moments, you have to fake it till you can make it. But when you're asking yourself, right now I'm either gonna be building confidence or chipping away at it, because that's reality. And if you're scared to try something and you back out of it, you're chipping away at your confidence. And instead, if you go in and challenge yourself to do it, you're building your confidence. So, you know, just making that decision and reminding yourself, right now, am I doing what I want? Right now, is this what I want? And it's not a natural gift, it's practice. I'm excited to be able to chime in. But, but everybody, chime in. You know, let's make this free-flowing. So You're in the joint, got three hots and a cot. That's what I want to talk about. Keep Jay, keep that in the recording. <laughs> We've got Heather Monahan, author of Confidence Creator. And why'd you write the book? Because uh, obviously, 
I am unconfident almost, I don't know if that's even a word, unconfident, but I feel like I lack confidence almost every single day. And I'm sure many people can relate to that. And it doesn't matter where you are in life, you're always hit with lack of confidence, whether it's anything ranging from imposter syndrome to, you know, oh my gosh, how did I, how, how am I going to do this next set of activities I need to do to just survive on this very difficult planet to everybody else is better than me. <laughs> how can I survive? I'm just fooling them all. So why'd you write the book? I wrote the book because as a kid uh, where I grew up in my situation, I thought I didn't have confidence. And I thought that was just the way it was. Certain people were born beautiful and confident and successful. And I just wasn't born that way. And what I've learned over 43 years is you can actually create confidence. You can build that muscle daily. It's a choice. And no one is born magically confident. They might have had mentors or parents or, or someone in their life teaching them why and how to be confident. And maybe, you know, I didn't or, or other people don't. But the reality is no one, is, confidence isn't static. It isn't just there. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be confident. You could be confident in one part of your life and not in another. And as I grew to understand this and really start practicing the disciplines that allowed me to build my confidence, I figured out, hey, this is something everybody needs to have access to. And frankly, it should be taught in schools. Um, so until that happens, I'm going to put my confidence information out there. And it starts with Confidence Creator. Well, it's interesting that you say it should be taught in schools. I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, um, you know, the educational system certainly changes every year. But I feel like in general, schools teach facts. Like when was the American Revolution? When was the French Revolution? When was, who, were, who was the president in 1880 or whatever? It's all these facts. But there are all these life skills that are so critically important because obviously, you know, you say you weren't born um, beautiful, confident, successful, and yet you're beautiful, confident, and successful. You were born, you say in your situation, you were born in a trailer park, but, uh, or you lived in, in one. And, but there are people who are born fabulously wealthy who are just so unconfident and the most insecure people I know. Sure. So it has really nothing to do with life situation. It's like you say, it has to do with these internal disciplines that you exercise every day, you mentioned in the book, and that you build. I mean, you talk about experiences from just a year or two ago where your confidence was thrown and you have to kind of practice your your disciplines and your, and your art. Now, a lot of this kind of, and I think this happens to a lot of people, it happened to me, I was kind of, overly confident to an extent and then bad things happen. <laughs> like you you lose a job, you go broke, you get a divorce. Ding, uh, ding, ding. Right. All three. <laughs> yeah, so me too. But let's just talk about your job first. You're incredibly successful. You're running like what, 80, you know, helping run 80 radio stations and then boom, you were fired. Boom. What What happened? So I was fired and blindsided. I had um, done extremely well in corporate America and was constantly advanced and, you know, awards and blah, blah, blah. So I got to this level of success. And frankly, I wasn't happy. The environment I was in, it was clear that the person that ended up firing me didn't like me, had it out for me. Another, How come? It was another woman. And in my, you know, we can all have our opinions. My opinion was, you know, she... I was a threat to her, you know? So I I am talented and I'm really good at what I do. And I think that really scared her. 
and, and in the end, you know, she was able to get rid of me. And that day, in that moment, I was so blindsided. I had never been fired before. So it was- And it was brutal, right? She called you up. She said, come I was in office. LA. I was in LA and I had to, I, I had thrown my back out. I was having all kinds of back issues. I had to fly home from LA and then get in my car, drive three overs over, over to her office to see her. And she was all smiles and couldn't wait to meet with me to let me know my position was eliminated. And in the business that I was in, in radio, it's a declining business, obviously, because of podcasts and, you know, the things that, um, you know, great things that you're doing. So a lot of people are capitalizing on different ways to reach people through audio. So it's exceptionally competitive. To get rid of a chief revenue officer position in that environment is comical. So when she said to me, oh, your position's eliminated. We no longer need it. You know, thanks so much for coming. <laughs> you know, you can either sign this paper or sign that one. It was, I was in shock. Even though I knew the woman didn't like me, I was just in shock. So that, that moment definitely knocked my confidence down for a while. So, so let's, let's look at it from her point of view for a second, because I'm just curious how you would apply your techniques to her. Clearly, she <laughs> was lacking confidence because she thought, here's this other woman, um, the board or the investors or whoever might see how successful she is. And if I ever slip, she's ready and waiting to take over. So I better get rid of her first. How could she have become more confident? Because obviously her, if she had worked together with you better as a team, you guys would have both been successful and built a great, continued to build a great company, which would have propelled her to more success. Sure. So it was it was against her interest really to fire you, but but clearly her own insecurity and lack of confidence is what did her in. How do you think she could have been more confident in that situation? The one thing specific to that individual that I saw was she wasn't transparent. And one of the holdbacks for everybody is when you're not transparent and you don't own your failures, your flaws, and let people really know the real you, you're never accepting yourself as being enough because you're putting fronts up all around you to protect yourself from everybody else. And that was the one thing that I saw that was really clear to how, me. How did you see it? Because if someone's not transparent, how do you see that they're hiding? I guess, well, I had known the person for a very long time. I think it was 14 years. So you get to know people pretty well over you know yeah. that amount of time in different situations. And I would see how differently she would approach things where I pride myself on being very transparent. And I'll say, you know, this was wrong. This idea that I came up with, I blew it, guys. So let's pivot. And how do we move forward from here? And I would watch her fail with things. And it wasn't to be discussed. It was very clear that, it was just a culture of we don't, you know, we don't talk about what's going on here. We're just going to move forward. So, so what's an example of failure in that business? Like, oh, let's do, let's move this this jockey from this station to this station, sure. and he did well here. Let's see if he does well here, and we'll do this marketing campaign, and then it doesn't work. Like, is that an example? That's an example, but a bigger picture example would be when I went in to pitch the then CEO, uh, which was a different CEO at the time, the idea of bringing in different products and services to allow our sales team to access new revenue streams and like what's a different product or service so back this is you know back five or six years ago digital marketing um, and different products in and around digital so SEO SEM reputation management a bunch of different advertising vehicles that are going to help our clients or my then clients be more successful and have a more rounded out media campaign 
So I went in and pitched that concept to the team and it was a big deal and a, a crazy idea to try something new and different. We ended up getting approval and moving forward. And then this woman ended up spearheading and leading the initiative after I sold it in and uh, brought a person in that ended up failing in that job. And so that was an example of you know, something that, you know, there was a failure, which of course in business, there's always going to be failure if you're, you know, otherwise you're not going to grow. So those kind of things, in my opinion, are fine. I just think that the, the next step is to really own the failure and learn from it as a team and share with people and, and be transparent. And those so, were the things that didn't happen. How could, so two questions there, and I'm sorry diving so deeply into this, but it's kind of relates to how you then, you know, the different, the, the nuanced way you were flustered and lost confidence after this, how could she have, what would have been the best way for her to be transparent? Because she, she can't just say, oh, I hired this bad guy and he um, messed up, it's all his fault, because that's sort of like a fake way to be transparent. Sure. It's putting the blame on others. She could have maybe said, you know, here's how I could have hired better, I take full responsibility, um, perhaps we can try this again if I hire somebody different or if I take over that role myself and try to reawaken this this product. Um, would that have been a better way? Absolutely. And so given Keep this, it real. So given this failure, though, how did she then rise up to become the CEO over you? She she was the daughter of the former CEO. Oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, but given that, why couldn't she be transparent? It's like all in the family. I don't know. I think everyone has their own individual holdbacks. And, and why would she be threatened by you if it's all in the family? I just, I can't answer that question for her, but what I can see and what you can feel when you're in a room with people is there are people who are taken aback by personalities. And I have a very strong personality. And it was very clear when I would walk into a room and this person wouldn't even say hello to me. It was as if I wasn't there. And those were opportunities for me to build confidence because I'd say, hi, excuse me. Did you not see me? I'm sitting over here. In the past, when I didn't have as much confidence, I would sit quietly and, and allow myself to be ignored. So all of these strange situations and environments I was in, in that company and in that job, taught me different ways to stand up for myself, find my voice, and really build my confidence. You know, it just reminds me though, like it gives me shivers, like corporate situations, it sometimes seems like it's a bunch of people sitting around a table who all hate each other. Yes. <laughs> and that they have to pretend to like each other. It's, and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. So, 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 okay. So this is kind of, I will call this big situation number one. I mean, even though there were other situations, but day after you were fired, uh, what were you thinking? I was heartbroken. I was embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I had a tremendous amount of failure. I just felt like a failure. And so in that moment, I decided the best thing for me to do was to put it out on social media and let everyone know. And I talk about this in my book, shining a light on shame, no matter what it is, is going to pay off for you in the end. And this is such a great example. The best thing I did was turning to social media and allowing people to know, hey, I've just been fired and it is a punch in the gut and it feels terrible and I need your help and I appreciate all of you. And you know, it's been great working with you over the past 14 years. That post, some of my closest friends called me immediately and said, are you nuts? Why did you put that out there? But then what I saw was so many people connected and related to me being transparent and shining a light on my shame. 
And it was amazing, the outpouring that I got and the help that I got and the connections and opportunities. And it really, it paid huge dividends for me. I think this is an extremely important technique. And the reaction from your friends is is also typical. Like I had a similar experience where in the 2000s, I was uh, in the finance business and running a hedge fund, but there were also periods where I didn't do so well and I personally went broke. And uh, uh, I in around 2010 or 2009, I wrote about it like in detail and everybody was like, are you insane? Like who would ever invest with you again? Even though every (laughs) single person in the finance business has has made horrible decisions, has has probably gone broke because, you know, it's a high risk business. And, uh, uh, but that's how you learn. And, but nobody, nobody would admit it. And so I was just very upfront about what was going on with me, what happens on Wall Street and so on. And, being very upfront, I would say multiplied my audience huge, gave me so many new opportunities, improved me as an investor and a person and so on. But why do you think 99% of people are scared to, to do this, to be transparent when, it's so, when, the, when the results are so obvious? You can see the results so obviously with people who do this. Because to take that leap of faith is so flipping scary and I've been there and you've been there. And this book is my biggest scary moment of take, you know, shining that light on shame and my lowest moments in my life. And I'm petrified about it going live. And I'm so scared. So I understand why people are afraid to shine a light on shame. It's scary. It's hard. It takes work. Yeah. So how do they get over it? There's a lot of different techniques and strategies. And uh, one and of you the- t- You talk about them. I want to go over each one one by one, but just what's your first- I think the first thing that comes into my mind when you face that fear and you're standing on that ledge is to flip flip it around. So if you're concerned that everyone's going to hate my book, I'm using the book as an example, and no one's going to like it and no one's going to buy it and I'm going to get ridiculed, let's turn that around and say, everyone's going to love this book and I'm going to sell millions of copies and change people's lives. It's just as possible as it could be one way or the other. So training yourself to flip around the negative discussion that you're going to have potentially in your mind and make it a positive one, the the possibilities, it could be go either way or it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. So, you know, really training yourself and working with yourself to not allow that negative conversation to dominate you. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll also give you a, 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 I think that technique works. I'll give you a different technique, which is related to your um, revealing shame part is one time I wrote an article uh, negatively reviewing all my books like just trashing all my books that I had ever written. And you wrote it? Yeah, and I wrote it. <laughs> so, and that works because you put it out there. It was yeah. already done. Yeah. That, yeah, you answer one. the objections on the books and you're being mm-hmm. honest, so people are like, "Huh, that sounds interesting. I think I should read it." And so, <laughs> that's another thing you could another technique you could that's try. That's a ballsy one. I love yeah. It. So, but yeah, that's that's what it takes. You have to go yeah, it, it's like one guest once said, Steve, which guest said this? Go to the place where it's least crowded. So if you're the author who trashes your own books, that's certainly the space that's least crowded. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. So yeah, so that's that's an interesting and, thing. And you wrote about it, I believe, in your book, uh, Choose Yourself, or it could be Reinvent Yourself, about Eminem, the eight-mile technique, where he pointed out all the flaws of himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then Robert Cialdini writes about it in Influence, I answer all the objections first. 
So, and that's how you persuade people is that you bring up the things Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. That's so, a sales and sales has been my entire career. And that's such a great sales technique for sure. In practice, just practicing it and, and looking at what those potential objections are going to be so that you have those solutions readily available. It's, it's such a great technique. Now, I want to I just briefly also talk about situation number two, because there's both, we were talking outside and you mentioned there's both professional confidence and, and personal confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you, 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 we, we were talking about the differences between men and women, and you said men often have professional conf- confidence, uh, but not as much personal confidence, and women maybe vice versa. I don't know if that distinction between, I, I feel like I lack it on both sides. Maybe I'm, I'm different, but uh, you went through a divorce, and that also um, kind of hit your confidence pretty hard. And so maybe describe you know, that situation a little bit. So there's a lot of similarities for me personally between getting fired and getting divorced that those are low moments. For me, those were both very low moments where I, I questioned myself. I questioned who am I? What am I doing? How did I get in this situation? Where did I go wrong? What's wrong with me? And those re- those feelings were so awful in the moment and time. But what's interesting is going through my divorce and journaling throughout that time and watching myself, you know, come out of it. It was the recession. Things were terrible at work. I had a major in the recession. Everything negative was happening back in 08, 09. It was just such a tough time back divorce, then. Divorce, going broke, yeah. losing a house. Oh yeah, we were living the American dream. Uh, so yeah, so th- that was just a terrible time. But what I did and what that gave me was strength because now I go back and I read those journals and I see, wow, I was so low, but I made it out and I watched the progress. And that's a big part of building confidence is looking at the progress you make and looking back to give yourself perspective. When I got fired, I looked back on the divorce journals to say, I got through this. I can definitely get through this. Here's some of the steps that I took. You know, I, I put a 30 day plan in place. I had I was worried about money back what then. What was your 30-day plan? Well, it was different um, when I was going through the recession versus when I got fired because things were different financially, but the fears were the same and my lack of confidence was very similar. So for each one, I literally drew out a map of I mapped out 30 days. It's the same thing that I did when my son broke his leg. I like to cross the days off and really give myself that sense of, okay, I can get through today, I'm going to own today, and looking just at a month. Because I know by the time I get to 30, I'm going to have made progress. And I'll write down little notes on the chart showing myself, this is just for me, what what happened, what came into my life, what I accomplished, how I'm feeling, really taking my temperature throughout that whole month. Like, and... and um. You don't have to answer any of these questions, but uh, do you mind saying what were one of the things on your 30-day plan after the divorce? The divorce was really focused on finances because it was the recession. My building, literally people were just walking away from uh, the apartments next to me and they were doubling my monthly payment to live in the condo that I live in. And it was a disaster financially. And I was so scared because I had a baby. My son was one years old and I didn't know how I was going to make it work. At, At work, the company that I worked for at the time, they were cutting everyone's pay, including mine. So my income was going down and my costs and expenses were going going up at a time that I thought, I'm lucky to have a job. And I felt that way because my confidence was so low. Now I look back on that, I should have gone out and seized the opportunity. There was so much opportunity in any negative environment, there's opportunity. But I wasn't looking for it because I was just so scared in my own mind. So instead, I really focused on how can I cut my expenses back? 
how you know what finances can I handle and manage differently? And I really focused on that financial side at that time. Was your and ex helping you? My ex and I split custody with my child, so we went in 50-50 on expenses for for my son. So you know, I was managing my home on my own; he was doing his on his own, and and then we split the child's expenses. So you know, I was really on my own, and it was just. It was a really hard time, but what I was able to see and what I've learned from it, I should have been focusing on how can I create more income instead of so focused on scarcity and how can I cut back more at home? So that was a great learning lesson for me. So, um, you know, the recession, obviously, like anything, it, it was temporary and it changed and improved. And with that, my income rose again, and I was able to get out of that negative environment and situation but it just gave me more strength in the end to look back at where I've been and what I've overcome, which really gave me strength for the steps I needed to take when I got fired. You know, it's so hard. That feeling of scarcity is so hard to get over because at the time, this is like 2008, 2009, uh, it seemed like the whole world was falling apart. It like did. this was the worst since the Great Depression of 1929. Right. And so you don't, like, of course, there was a lot of great opportunity then, but with ev with. 99% of the people around you feeling like the world's falling apart, it's hard to be... It's hard to see it. Yeah, it's hard to be the one person who says, no, 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 now let's right. just dive in and create opportunity. Um, I think that's I think that's incredibly difficult to do. It's almost like you have to hold your breath and say, okay, they tell me this is the time to invest when everybody else is jumping out of windows, so I'm going to do it. But it's still just hard to do when you see everybody jumping out of windows. But that's exactly how I felt the day after I got fired when I decided, okay, I can go back and take another media job and work for a competitor once my non-compete expires and just stay in the same rat race in corporate America I've been in forever. Or I can take the biggest leap of faith, like you're saying, and stand there and just jump and put my lowest moments in my life out there for the world to see, to see and shine a light on my shame and really own who I am and be petrified and be scared that people are going to hate it and they're going to be upset hurt, I'm going to get sued. All these crazy thoughts and ideas came into my mind and they've been paralyzing during this process because this was just August 1st of last year. And instead, I just kept going and kept writing. So, you know, for me, it's been, I, I completely identify with that fear and how paralyzing it can be. But what I've learned over the years is by taking that next step, just continuing to write. And then once I was done with the writing, you know, finding an editor, along the way, just taking those next steps. And then once I had an editor, things really accelerated because I had someone like a mentor helping me, advising me. Then I went to the publishing process and I had to figure that out. And there's been challenges along the way. And my book's coming out and the hardcover wasn't ready. And it's just been so, there's always going to be another challenge, another obstacle. It's, you know, it was up to me to find a way around that. So my whole career in corporate America, that's how I managed my business and, and how I got ahead. I found ways around the obstacles. And the only times now I look back where I really wasn't my best self were the times I was letting the obstacles get in the way. That drives me now today. And, and you know, obstacles getting in the way, often I find for me, it's, I, I ruminate on them. Like you can't stop thinking about them. Like you think, if you're going, instead of focusing, oh, where are the opportunities? You focus on, oh my gosh, there's only this amount of money in my bank account. In two more months, I'll be dead because it'll be zero. How am I going to pay for my kids? So rumination is a big part of anxiety and lack of confidence. Because then, when you talk to somebody, a you're you're not thinking productively because you've spent you've wasted so much percentage of your thoughts ruminating, and b you're just afraid 
you won't create opportunity when you're talking to potential opportunities. So how do you get over this rumination? One of the best ways that I would handle a situation like that is by utilizing a gratitude journal. And it sounds so hokey, but I promise it works. To shift from scarcity to abundance, the easiest way, and it's just discipline, make yourself do it daily, is to write down three things you're grateful for. So it can be as simple as, I was grateful that um, you know someone carried my bag up the stairs coming here today because I am grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that Steve. Did you carry her bag up the stairs? <laughs> <No>. It wasn't Steve. <laughs> it was John. So yeah. I, you know, I just like to look at these little things, and when you start seeing the world for those little beautiful moments, you just start feeling more positive. You start to shift. And within, I think it only takes a week for me if I'm ruminating on negative thoughts and being afraid and and worried about loss. And I I really stick to that habit, that gratitude journal and focusing on the very small, beautiful things in the world that I am grateful for. That shift will start affecting the way that you're thinking every day. You know, I would say writing a gratitude journal is almost cliche, except for the fact that everyone says it and nobody does it. Like it actually is really important. It works. And, you know, I find, you know, oh, no, no, I can just write these things. But this other thing that's worrying me is so much more important and so much bigger. But if you just, if you put your brain in the, if you, it's almost like rewiring your brain Mm -hmm. to kind of focus on the gratitude instead of, ultimately, nothing's really that important. So if you focus your things on uh, uh, gratitude, and you elevate the importance of those things you're grateful for, it does allow you to see opportunities more easily when they happen because these are opportunities also for, to be have future gratitude. And so I think that is a very important technique that again, most people talk about, but but they're afraid to do. And I wanna I want um, I want to kind of go through you know your your in, in, in the book uh, on page 112 here, you, you go through each thing you can do to kind of build, more confidence. And the first one's interesting, which is feel sad. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and Having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people 
who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. The first one's interesting, which is feel sad. 
That that was an important one for me. I think so often we live in this fake society, fake news, you know, social media, everyone throws a filter on everything that you're not supposed to have bad days and identify with how you really feel. That was an important thing for me is to like drop that front and just feel bad about the situation that had occurred. And it was okay to be sad and reach out and talk to people about it. And the more I would, the more people would rise up around me and tell me their stories. Heather, I got fired and here's what happened to me. I would have never started my own company and you see how much I, how I'm doing great and I'm so successful now, but I got fired five years ago and you didn't know that. And it was so elevating to me, the fact that I shared I was sad with people, that they rushed in to share their stories with me. And that was a big turning point for me. And that was all just within 30 days of me getting fired. So I think it is, it's really important to feel sad. So, so how long should you let yourself feel sad? You know, again, I, I chose 30 days. That beyond 30 days for me was, I saw more for my future and my vision for where I wanted to go. I didn't know where I was going. And I tell everyone this, I didn't know the name of my book was Confidence Creator. I didn't know this was the cover. I didn't see, I didn't even know I was writing a book about confidence. I just saw a vision for me being me and taking that next step and believing in me and believing that the path was going to appear. And I swear it did. And so often people see things on the outside and they see, oh, well, you knew you were going to, you know, have this book, Confidence Creator. None of that was clear. It's just about, you know, being yourself and taking that chance. So staying sad more than 30 days, that was never an option for me. I had that map for the first 30 days. I was allowing myself to feel what I needed to feel. But honestly, within the first 10 days, I wasn't feeling very sad anymore. And then the next the next thing you write is um, have a 30-day plan. And do you do you divide it up into like okay, what's a physical health plan? What's a financial health plan? What's a creative health plan? Do you divide it up somehow? Or like- no, I, I did. I didn't do that. I think that that makes sense for for certain people. But for me, one of the things that I've learned that helps me build confidence is putting myself first. So when I put myself first, that means I'm going to the gym every day. That is just part of my life. The only time I don't is if I'm in a critical situation where I'm in back-to-back meetings and I'm traveling and that's very limited. So the gym to me, is it's happening. I don't need to you know, even think about that. That's just who I am and I love working out. So that's part of what I'm doing every day. The other things are the things that I would really want to map out, which was here's what I need to accomplish today. Here's who I want to contact today. You know, really specific things week by week for for the first thirty days to get myself through it and see what I accomplished. And and when you say here's who I want to contact every day, are these uh, uh, like people you've been in contact with all along, or are you rebuilding connections that maybe from years ago, or like do you have a method for your keeping in touch with people? It's like hard for me to keep in touch with lots of people. Thank God for social media, right? I mean, that's like the best solution for keeping in contact with everyone so people know what you're up to. And I really try to leverage my social media network so that I can stay in touch with people. And what I also find is by being transparent and sharing with people what was really happening to me, so many people were reaching out to me. So it was just on me to respond to them, which was fantastic. And then globally thanking people for their support, Mm. that really allowed me to have more contact. And people are excited to hear what's going on with you. So reaching out to someone you haven't spoken to in a couple of years has turned out to pay dividends for me and been very helpful. And I've really leveraged my social media to make that happen. Uh, next one is keep a journal. Um, I guess because kind of writing things out allows you to kind of do this extra layer of thinking rather than than just simply blindly ruminating. 
and it really gives you perspective into you and what's going on because even in a week's time, you can forget where you were mentally on an issue or a topic or a fear. But when you can actually go back and see how you were feeling in that moment, it's so eye-opening for me. I can go I can go back and look at how I was a beginner in this back August 1st and starting my own business and launching my own brand and writing a book. And now to go back and read, what will I write about? I don't know that this book's ever going to happen. I mocked up a fake book today to keep myself focused on my vision, but this is a scam. I don't know what I'm going to do. And now I'm sitting here with this book and I know the name of it and I, I've already gotten feedback on it and it's good. So it's so powerful to have that shift of seeing where I was, even though I can remember it, it makes it real when I go back and read that journal. And that's why a journal is so powerful to me. Also, I imagine elements of the journal end up in the book. Oh my gosh, that's why people say, how did you write a book so fast? I have journals going back to when I was in college. So it was very easy. Whenever I struggled with a time in my life, I would just go to that journal and read through. And I said, oh my gosh, there, it's funny. I talk about um, Gordon Burrell, who is a consultant in my book. And he was someone who mentored me and, and advised me and helped me with speaking engagements. And what I learned when I went back to that journal and the reason why I included him in the book I noticed a pattern and it started with him where I wouldn't ask for things I wanted or opportunities I wanted until someone would show me, hey, you're good at this or I would be interested. I was always waiting for people to show me their hand first before I would ask. And that was a great lesson that he taught me and I was I was noticed it in my journal and I had forgotten about it and I included it in the book. Uh, remember that you've been here before, which is related to what you just said. You know, it's always useful to know when you're in this horrible situation, oh, I've survived this before. It really is because it makes you feel stronger and more prepared to go through it. While you might be a beginner in any situation, you've gone through other obstacles and challenges in your life and pulling strength from those really, it better prepares you to take on you know what's ahead now. Uh, you've talked about express gratitude. Uh, do what feels good. I think this is an important one. Like I find when I'm most depressed or anxious, I kind of don't do what feels good. I kind of just like lie around moping. <laughs> like, and it's hard to kind of go out there and say, no, no, I'm going to do this or I'm going to exercise. Like, oh, I don't feel like it today. So, so it's not just do what feels good. You have to kind of light the fire to get yourself to do what feels good. So I have post-it notes that I'll uh, keep up anytime that something negative is happening to remind me, meditate, go to yoga go to the gym, hug your child, you know, these really drink some water, really simple things that I know if I do it, I'm going to feel better. And then I'll have that moment where I'll go downstairs to the elliptical in my building and work out for 30 minutes. And I'm listening to a podcast on, on my headphones and I come back upstairs afterwards and I feel so much better. And I say, all right, great job, Heather. You know, you did it again. You were in a negative funk and you turned it around because you can make those choices to make yourself feel better in any moment. Do you think your baseline level of happiness is pretty high or pretty low in general? Like, I think everybody sort of uh, has a resting state of happiness that could either be low or high. So someone who's um, habitually clinically depressed is pretty low, and other people could be, you know, higher. I I guess I don't think it's it's very low on on me. I think that, you know, I've created, I feel like I've built it, I've shifted it to a much higher place, um, but listen, there are different volatilities for everybody. I would definitely say when I am down, I am very down. And when I am hard on myself, I'm very hard on myself. 
But for the most part, I think I'm a pretty positive person now. Uh, and you think that's because, in part, by consistently doing you it's know, my disciplines, these, all these things together sort of rewire the brain. It's they really work. about that. It uh, works. Um, we talked about opening up, opening up, you know, sharing what happened to you with others. Is is I think that is really huge. Uh, look for a silver lining. I think that's a key one, which is that with every bad thing that happens, try to find some positive lifeline that can pull yourself out of there. And I think that's a good, I find that for myself to be a good exercise to do. It Absolutely. It's a great one. I use in the book the example of when I got cheated on right after college. And I remember feeling devastated at the time Fast forward, I would have never taken an equity partnership opportunity that I received in business because I had to move to Michigan for that opportunity. So had I still been in a good relationship with that person, I would have turned it down. Instead, that ended up being the catalyst for my career that really gave me professional success and allowed me to take off. So that, that was a big silver lining in that negative situation. Yeah, I guess like when, when you look back on it, Everything that's ever happened to us has led us to this moment right here, where you've which you know, is you've, everything you've published this book, and now you're on my podcast, which of course is the height, the the peak of success. It's for the highlight. Life. This is the <laughs> highlight, baby. Uh, live in the present. You know, it's funny. We just just a little while ago, Keith Hernandez, the great baseball player, was on here, and he was talking about you know a uh, 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 very high stakes uh, at bat he had in the 1986 World Series. And a lot of it was, you know, how do you deal with the pressure of that moment? And a lot of it is kind of finding techniques to just be in the present moment and focus on what you have to do. And so how do you kind of get yourself in the present moment? Which is in some ways kind of, um, I don't want to say blocking out the negative things or the other things in your life, but it is some kind of a compartmentalization of, of, you know, to, to, you know to, 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 to keep the bad from coming in. And, it, and again, it just starts with that focus and discipline. But for me, you know, saying I'm here right now and I'm listening to your words instead of sometimes people will start saying, oh, how can I respond to this or that? And then they didn't hear the question and, and then there's a disconnect. So it's really just trying to hear people and listen and, and be yourself in that moment. That allows you to be present. And again, I'm big on reminders. So I'll put reminders up for myself. Hey, be here today. And it was like I was sharing with you, counting down the days and focusing on that one day, but then even focusing more on where you are in that moment with the people you're with. It really is powerful and it allows you to really be yourself when you're listening to people and being present. So it's just, again, it's, it's focusing, making the effort and discipline for yourself. I think it's so hard though. Like again, if if someone's listening to this and they've never been able to do this before, how can you say they start? Because sometimes it's hard, it, like you say in the book, it, this is a daily discipline, and it's hard to just start. I think, particularly you know, if you've gone deeper into no confidence, the no confidence zone. It's a choice. It's not about hard or easy, right? So success, if success was easy, everybody would have it. This is a choice. So if confidence was easy, everybody would have it. It's a discipline and it's a choice and it's taking action each day. So start with where you feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable being present in the moment or that sounds too hard, start with a gratitude journal. If that sounds hard, you know, focus on what pieces that you can actually grab hold of and own today and that's going to help you to get to that next step. Let's say you're in a conversation with somebody, um, like a work conversation or a, 
a relationship conversation, and it's a and it's fairly high stakes. Uh, I don't know what that means, but you're talking about an issue that's really important to you, or something that either angers you or makes you happy or whatever, and you feel like you're not quite happy with the conversation. You're sort of losing confidence. How do you sort of kind of take a step back mentally and quickly realize what's happening? And I don't want to say turn the tables, but get into a but get get back into a situation in the conversation where where you feel confident and where you feel more in control. So there's a few different techniques for that, and I'll share my channeling Donald Trump story on that one. But I think that when you're in a situation and you don't feel your best and you need to pivot, one of the ways that I've been able to do that is to channel different personalities. And I tell everyone this, channel until you feel good enough channeling yourself, which I'm really at a spot right now where I, today I'm just channeling me, and that's the most powerful that you'll ever be. But to get here, you might need to channel different people. So I was going on an international news show in New York City, and I got a phone call minutes before I was going to go on. And my friend says to me, uh, this woman that you're going on the show with is not the nicest person, and she may try to look, make you look like an idiot. Well, I, I said, Thank, appreciate the heads up, and I'm excited to walk in there. No, I felt completely insecure and scared. So I thought- Are you glad your friend told, warned you? Or yes, would you have- oh my gosh, I was, thank goodness they did because then I had that minute to prepare, literally. It was two or three minutes. So I thought, okay, who do I know in my life that can walk into a situation, have someone try to make them look like an idiot, have them not know the answer, and then they handle it fantastic. And I, for some reason, Donald Trump came to my mind. Whether you like him or not, the guy will be asked questions in media, live on TV, and when he doesn't know the answer, he just answers whatever he wants, any question that he wants, and it has nothing to do with what the people are saying. So I thought, if he can get away with that and he's the president, why can't I? So I walked into this interview, and I do not have a lot of international financial knowledge, and this woman asked me some questions question like, hey, well, this is great what we're talking about the U.S., Heather, but internationally, what is the disparity pay gap between men and women? Well, I didn't know the answer. So I answered a question I did know. I channeled Donald Trump, literally, and I had thought about it those minutes walking in that this is what I was going to do. So I said, great question, but an even better question would be, and I just changed the conversation, and it moved forward what, what, what seamlessly. What did you say? What was the better question? I, I said, I think I said something like, a better question would be, what are we going to do about the gender pay gap in the U.S.? And let me tell you, I've got an idea for that. And the conversation just kept going. I Donald Trumped her. And so from that moment on, when I would walk into a situation, if I felt a little nervous, I remembered that technique and that tactic because it works. I, I love that one because if she even contests that, look, that's not what I asked, you can say, <laughs> listen, all our listeners, they're caring about what they get paid. They don't know what somebody in you know, some other countries getting paid. Like, we have to focus on the issues here. Right, you just hold on to your what you're attempting to do and don't let go, and eventually the other person will let go. I feel like this reminds me of kind of basic concepts of media training, which is that no matter what the person asks, you can't be ready for every question. So no matter what the person asks, you, you think of three points that are important to you beforehand, and you always drive the question towards those three points. You know what's so interesting is you bring up media training. So through this whole journey, I've been going on with my boss in heels and writing my book and, and working for myself. I've had so countless people come to me. You need media training. You need to go to, you should hire a coach for this. I'm going to get a speaking guy. This is $10,000 and he'll get you a TED talk. 
all these people have come and surfaced in my life asking for money for this and money for this. And I, I listen to everyone and I'm, you know, I appreciate everybody's ideas. I don't have, you know, unlimited resources. So I'm trying to make the best decisions possible. But that media training thing is funny to me because I've had a number of people tell me, you know, you should do that. Instead, I decided not to go that route. But it sounds like you naturally have have the technique down. That's hysterical. So no, I don't. But you know what I do have is I know how to build confidence. And if you're confident and you feel comfortable in situations, you can pretty much handle the situation well. So it was practice. And over time, the more I'm in different situations, the better I get. And I, you know what, this is so funny. This just popped into my mind. When I would be feeling really scared about going on you know, shows or doing interviews, I was watching YouTube randomly one night because I have a 10-year-old and that's all he does is watch YouTube. And they feed you different videos. I was fed a video of, I'm trying to think of, of who the comedian is. Um, oh my gosh, it's escaping me right now. But one of these comedians, oh, Eddie Murphy. When he first started out in his career, he went on the David Letterman show the first time. He was sweating bullets. He was so nervous and scared. And then they kept feeding me Eddie Murphy videos. And in the end, I watched in like a hour period, him go on the David Letterman show that first time until he had been on, let's say seven or eight times. And the last time his arm is like, you know, over the chair and he's got sunglasses on. He could have cared less. And I hung on to that idea of, you know what, that's me. And maybe I didn't do the best job ever when I went on the Elvis Duran show the first time, but I've gotten better and better and better. And it's not a natural gift, it's practice and confidence and the techniques that I've applied to making myself feel more confident, which makes me more powerful, which makes me more me. And and I really love that lesson that I learned from YouTube and those crazy videos about Eddie Murphy. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is very interesting when you see um I, I in order to get confidence before a public talk, I actually watch YouTube videos of comedians because they're essentially the best public speakers. Mm-hmm. Like they go up there and they're not just speaking, they're acting out, they're inflecting their voices in different ways. They the only way they're going to get laughs is if they're extremely confident or at least portraying someone who's extremely confident. Yes. And they control the audience much more than any average public speaker would. And I find the the mirror neurons just by get triggered just by watching the person. So now you're essentially channeling that person. Like it's your channeling technique. Yes. I love the channeling technique. It, it definitely works. I use that with my fiance. When sometimes I'm, you know, I can be a pit bull, I'm very aggressive. And if we need to have a talk and I know he's upset with me. I think of my girlfriend, Samantha. She's the kindest, sweetest person. She's always gentle. So I walk into the situation saying, okay, channel Samantha in the situation. And really it helps me to try to take a softer approach, which works. Okay, what's a, you got to tell us what's a sample situation where you would have to do this. Like when does he get upset? When do you get upset? Where you have, where it gets to the point where you have to have one of these conversations. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there are so many instances. Usually it's him getting upset with me. I will say that. it's About what? um, Typically that, you know, I'm spending too much money, that I'm off on a tear doing things that, you know, I don't consult much with other people. I'll just, you know, move forward with things that, um, in his opinion, I should, you know, talk to him about first. Those are- Like what? 
Um, it could be anything like I changed my flight today and I'm staying and I don't call and say, oh, hey, you know, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about staying, Steve, you know, and I were talking, I think I'm going to, I just, you know, book, I changed my flight, I, I go do this and that and I don't, you know, sometimes you just have to make decisions and move forward and you can't consult with everyone and, and sometimes that annoys him. Yeah, because what does he think when you're, if you, let's say you're traveling and you're, and you're supposed to come home one, one evening, maybe right. he had plans with you, and then you call him and say, oh, no, I'm, not, I'm coming back in two days from now. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he would might be, get upset. He would be annoyed, yeah. But I mean, he's an, a very understanding and supportive guy, and he's been amazing, especially during this time. It's just been unbelievable. And having good people in your life that support you is critical in building confidence. And so what, what does he do that tells you he's upset? Does he get upset or does he get quiet? Like what, Oh, what yeah, happens? get quiet. For and sure. So you could tell, oh, suddenly he's quiet. So immediately you know. <laughs> I know he's mad at me. Yeah. It's funny how <laughs> silence is almost louder than yelling. It, it <laughs> like definitely can be. You could tell immediately when someone's silent. It's deafening. See, so, so, so what do you do? You get home and you say, hey, we got to sit down. Let's sit down and talk. What do you do? No, I just, I, am, I then become my cute, you know, I know what works with him. I'm so excited to see you. And, you know, I can, once I can be there, you know, in contact with him, I can break through that silence very quickly. And now that he's listening to this, he's going to think, oh, she's just oh, no. doing that technique. I hope. That's- I, you know what's so interesting? Oh, my gosh. Do you think he's listening, Steve? Tell me. I don't think he's listening. Um, he's he's probably he's, he's one of those people who doesn't listen to a lot of media. People usually don't listen to, or or read their spouses. I didn't uh, know stuff. this. He has not read the book. He won't read it. <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? But he's very he's very supportive. Like as a friend of amazing of but, his, he's extremely supportive. Like Chrissy Teigen is, the, you know, the model. She's married to who? John Legend. Yes. Yeah. So she she's never listened to one of his albums. So I think that's, that's a very typical so thing. So wild to me. She I didn't can't imagine to all of me or whatever that song. Is. Yeah, that's crazy. And she's yeah. missing out. Yes. <laughs> but let's say he were to listen to this, he wouldn't start thinking, oh, this is just a technique she uses. Uh, I'm not going to no. be fooled by that technique again. Don't you ever, when you're with somebody, look at them in, the, in their eyes and like you can feel who they really are? That I mean, he's known me for, gosh, eight or nine years now. So no, he, he knows who I really am. How long did it take before he asked you to marry him? Oh, a hundred years. I mean, the whole time. Literally, it's ridiculous. I had to break up with him so many times. You know, he's very different than me. He's very conservative. He's risk adverse. And we're, you know, we're just polar opposites in some ways. And it took him a long, long time to take that leap. What's he, was he doing for a living? Uh, he's a baseball agent. Okay. So funny. We just had a baseball player on the podcast. Um, all right. So uh, that's how you know Steve then, I guess. That's how that's I know exactly. Steve. Exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, so on the one hand, you live in the present. On the other hand, your next advice is create your own future. Right. Well, I mean, it's important to be able to see something that you're working towards. I mentioned with the book, I mocked up a fake book because that helped me visualize that this was real. And the closer I got, you know, day one, I was sitting at an empty screen. I didn't know what I was going to write about. But the more I thought about, it's going to be a real book. This is real, Heather. I had to focus on what that picture was. It didn't mean I was living in that future moment. No, I was still sitting in a computer with a blank screen. But the more I would think, one day I'm going to get to a point where there's a tangible book in my hands that would help me to sit down at the computer and actually write. And how did you mock it up? 
I just literally took another book and, you know, put paper around it. And, you know, mm. I came up with the name and then I wrote the name and then I started drawing. You know, it was just like, it looks terrible, but it helped me realize this is what I'm working towards. And you know what's so funny? Uh, I have a 10 year old son, Dylan. And one day he came out and he said, Mom, why do you have this book over here? And it was um, Option B or Plan B, Sheryl Sandberg's book. And I hadn't read it yet, but I had just bought it. And he said, you don't need a plan B, mom. Let's throw this book away. And it was such a powerful moment for me to hear that, you know, he felt so strongly about my book. And it was just, it was a really very cool moment. Well, I don't think I would have done that at 10 years old. Yeah, no, he's an old soul. That's for sure. That's pretty good. My kids did not do that for me (laughs) when they were 10. They're a bunch of losers. comeback song? That was interesting. Oh my gosh, yeah. So my son, a couple months ago, he broke his leg. And this was so cool. It was this Not that he broke the leg. That was horrible. And he was so, and for him, it was devastating because he's 10 and he loves basketball. Basketball game. And so we got home from the hospital and he was really bummed out, crying, et cetera. And so he went, mom, I'm going to go into my room and lay in my bed for a little while. I need to just calm down. Okay. So he went in there with his computer. Of course, I knew he'd be on YouTube. And I came in a few minutes later just to check on him and see how he was doing. And I saw that he was Googling songs. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm finding my comeback song. And he picked the song Glorious, which was such a beautiful, amazing song. And now I use that song too. He's since moved on from that song. He's like, mom, that's so like, you know, last month, whatever. But for him, he was visualizing his future. This is such a great example, Steve. I'm so glad you brought that up. Is that, you know, he was visualizing himself coming out on the court with that song playing in his mind. And he said, this is the song I'm going to play the day I come back to the court. So we did the same technique. He had that vision for his future. We wrote out a 30-day plan. We crossed off each day. And that helped him to really like conquer that beast and get that cast off and find a way to make having a broken leg manageable. Hmm. Okay, so now not only have you live in the present and create your own future, but your next thing is take a step back. What does that mean in this context? You need to give yourself perspective. You know, and that was kind of what I was talking about earlier when I looked back on my divorce as a moment to gain strength from. But when you take a step back from everything, you can actually see more clearly. So often we get into that day-to-day, what we're doing right in that moment, and that's all we can focus on. And when you pull yourself back from it and think about the adversity you face, the things that you've overcome, who you are and what you've achieved, you know, you can feel more proud and stronger in any moment. And that for me really happens when I look back over different spans of time or even, you know, remembering the story with my son with a broken leg and, you know, what he learned from that and how he managed that. When you take a step back and look at those things, it's um, it can be very powerful. Um. And you've mentioned this before, your next step here is you are priority number one, which I think also is really hard for people to, if they're at a low point, it's hard to, it's hard to place yourself first when you're at a low point. Like I realize the importance of that, but a lot of this is like, how do you make that leap to say, okay, I'm priority number one when I just got fired, got divorced, went broke, whatever. You have to ask yourself that question. So in any moment, you can either be like building- feeling worthless at that point. So it's hard to, it's almost like you have to fake it till you make it. Yeah, and that's in the book as well. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. In some moments, you have to fake it till you can make it. But when you're asking yourself, 
right now I'm either going to be building confidence or chipping away at it because that's reality. And if you're scared to go on a show and, and try something and you back out of it, you're chipping away at your confidence. And instead, if you go in and challenge yourself to do it, you're building your confidence. So, you know, just making that decision and reminding yourself, right now, am I doing what I want? Right now, is this what I want? And in some relationships, you know, people will put themselves secondary and they'll say, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and do this with you, even though it's not what I want to do. And then they'll have a chip on their shoulder or they'll be the victim. You know, instead of living in that space saying, you know what, the next time this person that says to me, I want to go here or there and I don't, I'm going to speak my truth and put myself and my needs first then I don't have to be the victim or I don't have to be secondary. And those small steps, those small decisions to really speak for you and what you want will empower you so much more. And obviously that happens a lot in the workplace too. Like a boss will ask you to do something. You don't necessarily want to do it, but you might realize the importance of doing it for the overall corporate plan or whatever. Like I think it's, it's nuanced. Like you can't always say, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it because someone's got to do it. And, you know, so it's not always possible to really do that, what you're suggesting. Well, I think that what is possible is to communicate. So, you know, if you allow yourself to be a dumping ground for your boss, then people are going to treat you the way you allow them to treat you, right? So, and this is something I did learn at work earlier on. I would just take everything on because I thought it's my job and I'm a team player. But over the years, I learned I was doing so much more work than everyone else. But then I took a step back and said, well, of course it's this way. I always say, okay. So if you allow yourself to be that person to get dumped on, you will be dumped on. Conversely, what I did differently is over time, I started realizing I need to have a discussion and at least communicate that I don't agree with this. So someone would come to me to dump more work on me and I would say, great, right now I've got a full plate. You know, We can take a look at the things that I'm working on and I'm, I'm happy to listen to you. How can I prioritize this? Because I don't think mm. I'm capable to take more on. Is there someone else better suited that could handle this? Of course, well, I would know. I would see my peers with half the work that I was doing. Just having that communication, not a fight, but just a calm communication opens other people's eyes to, I don't think she's going to keep letting me dump work on her. Yeah, I, I also like this the way you twisted it is I, I call this the advice technique. Ask them for advice how to solve your problem. For sure. Then they get invested in help, you know, your negative needs. Exactly. So it's uh I think that's I think that's very powerful. And then finally, be open to signs. It's been so crazy for me through this whole process, the signs that I have seen. And I I'm not, you know, I wasn't big into the universe and all of this, you know, through corporate America. I was just kept my head down doing my work. But now that I'm out of it, I have seen so many strange things, so many messages that I get from people on social media when I'm having the worst day and I'm doubting the book and thinking I shouldn't do this. Maybe I, I should scrap this whole project. And then all of a sudden, I'll get a DM on LinkedIn from a girl I knew in high school. And she sends me the most raw, beautiful note about how she supports me and is behind me. And she's so proud of me. And those moments, those crazy signs that have shown up all along this journey really let me know I am doing exactly what I'm meant to do. Not, you know, I don't need to keep second guessing myself. And then that note would push me through that day. 
those signs show up when when you really need them. And I do believe it's like part of the universe just show, rising up to help elevate you and get you to go where you're meant to meant to be. Do you think this is part of what's uh, called the the Honda Civic effect, which is <laughs> um, when you buy a, like. You never really notice any Honda Civics on the road. But then when you buy a Honda Civic, suddenly every other car you see is a Honda Civic. Yes. And so if you start keeping a gratitude journal, if you start looking for opportunities, if you start putting yourself as number one, then suddenly what you start seeing are the other opportunities where you could be number one or the other opportunities where you could have gratitude. Whereas if you weren't rewiring your brain in this way, if you didn't own your Honda Civic, so to speak, own your 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 sense of abundance rather than a sense of scarcity, you wouldn't see these other abundant opportunities. You just nailed it. I love that analogy. Yes. So Thanks, so so what do you what what's next? Like what do you want to do now that you've done this book? Oh my gosh. Well now I'm in, you know, the phase of promoting the book and making sure that it reaches enough people. And that in in and of itself is a whole, you know, I'm a beginner. I'm learning how to do this. So it's trying to make sure that I'm using my time correctly, reaching enough people, um, going to different speaking engagements and opportunities to spread that message because we're in such a noisy society that it's very easy for a book to launch and, you know, no one to see it. So that's priority number one right now and for the next two months. But I'm also, I just completed a video series, which is really bringing to life, you know, the tips and strategies around confidence because because so many kids just want to watch YouTube. So we, we were going to have a, you know, YouTube videos on the Confidence Creator. And then I've been working with a consumer packaged good company on some different products. And, and I'm looking at um, doing some new things. And some what, of it's- what, what consumer products? So I'm working on a skincare line right now um, with a partner. And I'm also looking at you know, creating some unique- concepts that are around empowering others through messaging in some innovative new ways. Uh, can you can you share <laughs> what the innovative new ways are? Well, you know, I don't want to give the whole thing away because it's not ready to launch yet. But you know, it's about reminders and how important reminders are um, for all of us, especially for me. And my son taught me that with writing on his shoes before basketball games, I can do all things. And it's about creating reminders so that everybody can have them in various places in their life. I mean, there are so many great techniques in here, and obviously, confidence really is the difference between. I think success and failure in so many different situations, whether it's professional or relationships or investing or 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 getting yourself opportunities. And I would say, I mean, f- for me, on these techniques that you describe, kind of channeling someone else is incredibly important. Like I always use that technique in in many situations. I think the gratitude journal is very important. I think important but difficult is putting yourself as priority number one. Uh, I think picturing a future. So imagining what what it's like 10 years from now, if you're looking back at this moment, you know, what should you be doing? How should you be thinking about like what, if you're a success 10 years from now, what does this moment, you know, truly look like? Right. Uh, stuff like that is just extremely important. Like what have you found to be the most useful? If you had to uh, say what, what, what a useful thing, a useful, most useful technique is. Well, there's a great uh, story that I tell in the book about how um, I was dating a police officer, you know, when I was much younger. And he taught me that when I would go out running, if a dog was to come at me, that I was to run at the dog and yell mm. the dog and be the forceful, you know, one in the, in, in the exchange. And that would make the dog run away. He taught me that. And this is 
completely, this happened a month later, of course, a Rottweiler came running at me and I, I immediately, you know, I just, my mind took over and I started running at that dog, screaming at that dog, pointing a finger in the dog's, in the dog's face. And I was petrified while, while I was doing it, but I wasn't going to back down. There was no chance. He taught me this is the only way to handle the situation. Thank goodness he taught me that. And the dog, right before I got to it, ran home and was crying. And it was a real big Rottweiler. So in that moment, you know, I was petrified after it happened because I could think about, holy cow, thank goodness that worked. But when I look back on my life, I realize I learned in that exchange that bullies will not back down when you simply ignore them. And I used to think, oh, just walk away from them. I don't need to confront them but that gives them steam and encouragement that they're getting at you. And so standing up for yourself and really being the stronger person in that exchange doesn't mean you need to be yelling in their face, but I've learned over time that I have to stand up to bullies and just, you know, letting them, you know, dominate me even in a silent way isn't going to work any longer. So it's like, it's kind of like you use that technique in the TV situation a little bit where the woman was asking you some question you didn't know. It was almost like she was bullying you into trying to say, I don't know the answer right, to that. Right, right. And you kind of like went back at her with your own agenda. Right. Is there another situation where you've used that? Well, I, you know, channeling somebody or? No, no, no. The, the uh, bullying. Yeah, the the the, uh, the running, the, the Rottweiler technique, let's call it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a number of those because, you know, unfortunately, there's bullies everywhere. Everybody's got them. I call them villains. You know, everyone's got different villains in their life. And for me, you know, I've had a number of instances where I've had to stand up to those people. And um, I think one of the best things I've learned is you don't have to scream and you don't have to yell to stand up for yourself and, you know, just have a conversation about, you know, whatever it is that you want and and creating boundaries around, you know, different situations and people. Yeah, how do you do that? Because I know so many people who will, um, I don't know, they try to please, let's say a boss or a husband or a wife or whatever. And so they just, oh, if I do this, she'll like me or he'll like me or the boss will like me. Um, how do you, and and it just never works, And but they just keep doing it because it's the only technique they've ever have used. Right. So how do you kind of build a sense of how do I create boundaries and where that boundary should be? A great story just popped into my mind. So the, a CEO that I worked for years ago um, called me 10 days after I gave birth. And he said, hey, you know, can you jump on a plane and go to my alma mater and I want you to speak at this event 10 days after I gave birth and I had a C-section. And I immediately said, okay, sure. Uh-huh, what, you know, what time? And I didn't even think to say, this is what I would say now if that, if that was the case. Hi, great to hear from you. Did you hear I had a baby 10 days ago? Did you get the pictures? Great, I'm gonna send them over to you. Listen, I'm breastfeeding right now, recovering from my C-section. And while I appreciate this event, sounds really amazing and fantastic, love to be there. But unfortunately, I think that we've got someone who's probably better suited on the team that isn't recovering from a C-section. Do you think there's someone we could reach out to? It would be very easy. But I call that just, you know, speaking your truth and standing up versus I went on that trip. You know, and and um, there's pictures of me now, unfortunately, on you know Google that are not so fantastic because I literally had just had a baby and was you know pumping in a bathroom before going in to give a speech to my CEO's alma mater just you know 
days later. It was crazy. But that was because my self-esteem was not there. I wasn't confident in that moment. I was petrified. I didn't want to lose my job. I felt lucky to have my job and I was questioning everything. So Yeah, so so but this is a good example. Like uh what if you were right? What if what if you really were afraid Oh, I'll lose my job if I don't say yes to this. Or I I'm was. In, That's or why I'm I in went. danger of losing my job, or I'm in danger of not looking good in his eyes. Like, how can you kind of do the self talk to say, you know what? It's okay for me to put up a boundary here. It is okay. I mean, you need to. That's ridiculous that I went on that trip. And so I agree with you. But how would you, how would you take that and have it outweigh the fear of you're going to look bad in his eyes and and maybe would lose your job? It, you can have that fear and still move forward with the conversation the way I replayed it, you know, how I would mm. handle it now. You can have that fear. It's about facing fear and realizing fear is a liar. You know, what is mm. the worst that's going to happen? That's another strategy that, that I use. Fear is something you've created in your own mind. And the reality is in any moment, it's up to you to just walk through that. And if you're feeling afraid, everything you want is going to be on that other side. So using those tips as strategies to just move forward is going to propel you to have that conversation. Once you do it once, you're going to feel so much, oh my gosh, I didn't die. I'm still alive. I'm here. I didn't get fired on the phone for declining the trip, right? I mean, the worst probably that would happen is he'd ask you again, well, no, I really need you to go, you know, and then you could reevaluate, I guess, at that time if you wanted to go or not. But what we've built up in our mind typically is not even real. Yeah. What is it? Uh, uh, I think Mark Twain says something like, Steve will know the exact quote because he knows every quote. But uh, uh, Mark Twain, something like, said, This line would be short if we had more time. No, I had, <laughs> I had um, 100, 100 disasters in my life and oh, well, yeah. only one of them came true. Or, yeah. or only one of them actually happened. I forgot the exact quote. It was much more uh, Eloquent. Much smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, but this leads to another uh, it, it, advice you have, which is you don't have to be perfect, which I think is really important. Like I think people feel like they look back at a, at, let, this is typical for, I always think of, of parties. Like you go to a party, you have 20 different conversations and then you go home thinking of one conversation where like, oh man, I felt really stupid during that one conversation out of the 20. Uh, you don't have to be perfect in, in all these things, but people feel like they have to be. Nobody is perfect. And accepting that and instead owning your flaws makes people identify you with you and like you better, connect with you on a more real level. My shrink said to me back when I was in college, Heather, everyone has flaws. No one is you know, perfect. You don't have to pretend to be perfect either. In fact, if you see someone trying to act perfect and portray themselves as they are, run. And I've never forgot that. Mm. You know, it's really powerful because if you see that person that doesn't make a mistake and everything is perfectly polished every day, something's really wrong there. You've got to go the other way. And I really hang on to that because no one's perfect. You want to have that error and flaw in there because that makes you you. And then people really can start connecting to you. And that's what life's all about is like, you know, really connecting with people on a real level. Yeah, I think that's how I think. I think that, that connection brings the confidence. It really elevates confidence. Yes, that's a great point. Well, what do you? Oh, I was saying, Mark Twain. Uh, <laughs> I've lived through yeah. some terrible things in my life, some of which have actually happened. Oh, there you go. Right. Much Love better. Love that. Yeah. That's a great quote. <laughs> Don't rule out hypnosis. So we've had a couple of guests on talk about hypnosis, uh, notably so uh, uh, Scott Adams, who who created the cartoon Dilbert. What's your what, what what's your take? How would you do it? 
So when I was getting divorced, uh, I went to a hypnotist. One of my girlfriends had just gotten divorced and went to a hypnotist. And I thought, I'm in a funk, like can't hurt. I'm going to go give it a shot. And that um, hypnotist has become a, become a good friend of mine. And I send so many people to him. I had a friend a couple of months ago said, I have to get up and speak and I'm, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, go see him. If you want to break through something big and fast, it's definitely a way to accelerate your progress quickly. What, what happened when you went? I saw a change. I saw a mental shift within probably a month. I think I went once a week for a month. And it was just, it was a significant shift in the way I had been thinking. I mean, they work with you on issues from your childhood and, you know, regression. There's so many different things that hypnotists can help you with. But it was a, it was a powerful experience for me. But what do they do? Is it like, do they actually do the yes. real hypnosis? They put yeah. you to in a state? Yes. And then they start talking you like almost like affirmations or? I don't think it's affirmations. I think it's more talking about, you know, they walk you down, they use the finger and then, you know, they walk you downstairs and then next thing you know, you're out. So I don't really know exactly what he says to me, but good thing I trust the guy, right? Um, But, you know, he's doing something around, Heather, you are enough, you know, you, you are good and you know, trying to break through the negative self-talk that I had had in my mind, you know, blaming myself for my divorce, you know, not feeling proud of who I was, being scared. He just kind of talks you out of that on a very subconscious level and it works. Where is he in New York? I'm going to try him. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's in Miami. Are you from Miami? No, no one's from Miami. (laughs) The most transient place. No, actually, um, I grew up right outside of Boston in Worcester, Mass. And where do you live now? I live in Miami Beach on the ocean in the most amazing place. Uh, I, was, I was just Miami. It was really nice. Thanks for the call. I, I, went, <laughs> I, I went there with my daughter. It was like probably the last vacation I'll ever take with just my daughter and me. Why? Well, because she's 16 now. You know, they, they get older. Oh. This is like her last clinging to right. daddy. So, so it was fun to go on, on the vacation. But uh, I really want to recommend this book, Confidence Creator by Heather Monahan. I think... I've really seen so many situations where the level of my own confidence was the difference between success and failure. It's the only thing I can attribute to, to you know, like I used to, um, you know, run a hedge fund and I had investors and investors have their own agendas and fears and, and, and so on. So sometimes an investor would call me up like angry, you know, why did you do this or what happened or blah, blah, blah. And how I reacted was everything, was whether they put more money in, was whether they took money out, was whether they calmed down and didn't threaten things. And uh, and it's just all comes down to like, you know, like you say, speaking your truth, sticking to your core integrity, but having the confidence that, that you can do that. Like, so I think there's some element here as what are you confident in? And I think you kind of have to have your truth that you're speaking. You have to know what that core integrity is. You know, so that step for one, you're not the bully. You know, you have to know that you're speaking out of, you know, your sense of values, but that you're confident in them. Absolutely. So I highly recommend the book. And Heather's great. Uh, what, what, how else can people find you? Uh, I'm on every social media platform at Heather Monahan. My website, heathermonahan.com. And Confidence Creator is available on Amazon. Go to it now. Excellent. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was good. Thank Yay! You. Uh, that was great. It was great, honestly. Yeah, I'm yeah. so happy. Thank you so much. Yeah. That was so fun. What? When's the book actually officially come out? Tuesday. 
She's like, okay, so we'll put this podcast out around then. I'm freaking we'll, out. We want you. Don't freak out. I am. I'll tell you why you shouldn't freak out. I think I'm going to get sued. I'm so scared of that. Okay, okay yeah. record this. Record this. I recorded? Okay. Yeah, record this. Have you been recording already? Yeah. Okay. Why, why are you afraid you're going to be sued? <laughs> I don't know. In my mind, I'm just really scared that what if, you know, what if my old employer comes and sues me? I share the sexual harassment stories from you know, a couple of different jobs. What if those people just get attorneys? Anyone can sue anyone for anything. Yeah, that's true, but they usually don't because they don't want, there's such a uh, uh, cultural, uh, uh, basically cu- cultural and media are, are, they're on your side at this point. Oh, really? So, well, that's what that you see. Anybody who's accused of anything, and this is probably for the good because it's kind of balancing out decades of harassment, but anyone who's accused of anything, their career is over, not the accuser's career. So I don't think you should worry about that. Yay. I don't, and also people in general don't want to go to court. I don't think anybody really sues about anything unless it's an extreme, something extreme. Also, in order to sue, they have to show monetary damage. And that's ex- actually, they have to show that it's not true. The onus is on them to show it's not true. Mm-hmm. And they have to show monetary damage, which is extremely difficult. How do they show monetary damage? That connection. Because there's like okay. so many factors in that. So I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but I've tried to sue in the past. And this is what my lawyer has told me. And, and I'm a, not a lawyer, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. The, uh, Bill's <laughs> and, lawyer, and it has so. to be like will- you are her lawyer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, but it also has to be willful. Like they have to show like malintent that you were like aiming to like harm them. Okay. It wasn't just a tertiary effect. Okay. Yeah. So right, and you're telling stories of your life, so it's not like you're you tell every story of your life, so it's not right. um, like you pick aimed this one at them. Up. Yeah. No. So, um, so what else are you worried about? I'm worried that this isn't gonna, that next thing isn't gonna happen. That, you know, I, that I, the book's good and it's out there and it's not really picking up traction. And then what? You know, yeah. then, okay, Heather, where do you go from here? Where's that next step? I don't know. That's what scares me. So, so, a uh, couple of things. One is for the, 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 the positive lifeline is a book itself is an event. So let's say you're up for a consulting gig or a speaking gig as, as a, an example. Uh, do they pick the person? They don't know you or the other person that they're considering. Do they pick the person with the book or they pick the person who hasn't written a book? The book. They pick the person with the book. They don't ask who published the book. They don't ask how right. well did the book do. They might ask, was it a New York Times bestseller or they might notice that or not. But That's such a freaking scam. I'm so pissed about it that is whole a scam. thing. It's a scam. And there's been so many articles about how those lists are a scam that that doesn't even matter anymore. So just having the book is an event that's worthy of being proud of. And I don't think books are as powerful anymore as other forms of media. Like, let's say a very popular TED talk or YouTube video or other things. Like, you know, the average, even on New York Times bestseller, the average New York Times bestseller will sell only a few thousand copies. Like the book sales are just, you know, across the board, who's who's to say? It's kind of a, a gamble. But the book itself is is an event that is worth celebrating. Uh, and then, you know, the best marketing for the book, of course you're doing, you know, podcasts and TV and stuff like that, but the best podcast the best marketing for the book is to do the second book. So I know you don't want to do a second book, but I would at least consider what a second book might be. Really? Because that might. Because here's how you might do it. Maybe your speaking gigs, if you if you do speaking gigs, maybe those will revolve around the topics of a second book. Then you just take the transcripts of those speaking gigs and have an editor edit them into a second book, and now you have a second book. 
without you really doing much writing. I've already been asked by people to write a book like this for kids. There you go. Well, right. Something like this could be, you know, the confidence creator for parents, confidence creator for right. bosses, confidence right. creator for employees, confidence creator for entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of different, and and that's something you could um, you could say, you know, Heather Monahan with, you know, a parent, or Heather Monahan with uh, a, a boss, you know, and who who actually does the bulk of the writing, and you write the intro or whatever. So there's lots of different directions you can go on second, you know, to make the book itself a franchise. Said the man with 19 books. Said the man with 19 <laughs> books, right? Because I, I I know how to do this. So because uh, not. Out of my 19 books, most of them were not, I'm, I'm not saying this is, I mean, this is every chance to be a success. Some were successful and some weren't of my 19 books. And some were horrible of the books that I wrote. But you just keep going and... Just keep going. Yeah. And, and, and then also you might say, okay, like you said, you have videos. Maybe you do some free videos and put them on YouTube. Like right. here's, a, here's, how to, here's a unique way to keep a gratitude journal. And, and you know, that ties back to your book. So you kind of... You kind of want to be in all places. So they can find you on LinkedIn, your articles. They can find you on your blog, the same articles. They can find you on YouTube talking about some of these techniques, which then, and then underneath the video, links back to the Amazon page for the book. Don't necessarily link back to your website, link to the Amazon page. Right. People are 100% more likely to buy on the Amazon page than buy off of your website. Mm -hmm. So just little stuff like that to know. Um, but again, it's not so important that Five million people read the book. It's more important just that you did the book, and that's it for the rest of your life. You did this book. Yay! So it's an event. It's done. You can always talk about it. You can always speak about it, and you can always do the next book and the tenth book and whatever. One of those books will be will sell the million copies, and everybody will buy your prior books after that as well. So what else are you worried about? That's the key. I mean, now I just have to catch my flight, and we're good. <laughs> when's, when's your flight? One thirty. One thirty. What time is it? Eleven thirty-five. You gotta go. I gotta go. What airport? Gotta go. LGA. All right, you'll make it, but you gotta go. Okay, gotta go. <laughs> All right. Thanks for doing the podcast, Heather Thank Monahan, you so confidence much. creator. 